Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne to worship you once more. Praise you and honor you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your table. Thank you, Lord, for your accomplished work. We thank you, Lord, for your word, your revelation to us that we may know the things of Christ and the things that Christ has accomplished for his people, that they may know these things as their only hope, uh, hope of salvation and hope of life. And Lord, I pray and thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ in the book of John. And Lord, may you teach your people that they may know that Christ is the Son of God who is God. may know that all things have been given to him, things of life, salvation, and judgment, that according to his words, that they may honor him as they honor the Father. So, Lord, we know that Christ is being honored in the salvation of his people. And we pray, Lord, that you cause us to see uh, the work of Christ and the person of Christ in your word. May you open the hearts of your, and minds of your people that they may hear and accept the testimony of Christ about himself. We pray and thank you in his precious name. Amen. Amen. In John 5, verses 16 to 24, we are going to hear the Lord Jesus Christ making some statements, some high statements about himself, some high Christological and theological statements. And this is all coming from the healing of the sick man on the Sabbath. And the Lord took the opportunity to explain to the Jews and to teach the Jews as it were who he was. He takes the opportunity to tell them as he has told them somewhere else that he has authority over the Sabbath, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But this time he comes explaining the same theology about himself, but he gets very personal and he says, guess what? I have this kind of relationship with my father that gives me the authority to do the things that I have done. And guess what? You didn't know about this. God has determined from all of eternity to honor me. And because he determines to honor me, he has given all judgment to me that I may receive the same honor as the Father is honored. So we go to John 5. Verses 16 to 24. John 5, 16 to 24. And this is what it says. For this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them. My father is working until now. And I myself am working. For this reason therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. And verse 21 for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Jesus and the Sabbath, part two. The son is equal to the father. The Lord has healed a sick man. That's the background. That's the story. He has healed a sick man at the pool of Bethesda who was from among a multitude of other sick people. We are told that by this pool lay a great multitude of the blind, the lame, and paralyzed who came hopping to get healed from their infirmities. But apparently the healing was not as forthcoming. So they lay there. For weeks. For months. And for years. And they needed. The health condition of these people. Was such that they could not go into the pool. By themselves. As we learned from the man, from the sick man, that he needed, he needed someone to help him get into the pool. They needed help. But the problem was that if someone was sick and they needed to be healed, they could not get help from someone who was sick themselves. Even though they were better than them. If their helper had any kind of ailment. Even though they are able to get into the pool. They would be the ones to be healed. And according to the rule. It was the one who went into the pool first. Who was healed. And all the virtue was taken out. So then. We established that this was teaching us of the need of a sinless helper. A helper who did not have any kind of defilement or infirmity to go into the pool with the one who was sick. And we established theologically also that the physical description of those who lay by the porches 
was a picture of the sinful and spiritual condition of all those born after the first Adam. And unless someone who is sinless and well, like the Lord Jesus Christ, passes by to heal them, that is to sanctify them and to justify them, there's no hope for them. And so, this is the condition of all men born after the first Adam. And unless Jesus shows up and awakens them, gives them a new birth, and gives them faith, and gives them righteousness, there's no hope for them. So, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he goes through the temple, through the sheep gate, and he comes and he heals one of his own. And as expected, there was trouble. As expected, there was trouble. Why? Because the Jews did not understand who Jesus was. And they did not understand the theological significance of the Sabbath. So they could only see Jesus as a lawbreaker. The Sabbath had been given as a day of rest to be observed as a token of the law of Moses. Even though in Genesis God rested from his works on the seventh day, it was not until the law of Moses that the Sabbath became a token that was to be observed. But we know that the Sabbath was patterned around the rest that God entered into himself after he had completed his works of creation. And by this he was anticipating and teaching the rest that he would give to his people through the work of Jesus Christ. And so the law mandated that no work had to be done on the Sabbath. And there was also something interesting here about the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was never given as a day of corporate worship. The Sabbath was not given as a day of corporate worship. The Sabbath was given in the Old Testament as a day of physical rest. Of seizing from physical work. Like the gathering of manna. Remember when they were supposed to gather manna. They were not to pick manna on the Sabbath day. And this is in Exodus 16. There was no traveling on the Sabbath day. You could only travel a Sabbath day journey. There was no kindling of fire. And there was no gathering of wood. And also outside the explicit teaching of the law, there were other prohibitions for the Sabbath that included no burden bearing. As in Jeremiah 17, no trading and no marketing activities. Like in Nehemiah 10, 13, and 19. And so then, as part of the law, if a person was caught working on the Sabbath, they were supposed to incur the case of breaking God's law. 
they were supposed to be stoned to death. Here is Numbers 15, 29 to 36. Numbers 15, 29 to 36. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the sons of Israel, and for the alien who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. Now while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. And they put him in custody because it had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man shall surely be Put to death, or the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. In verse 36, so all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So, in the eyes of the Jews, the Lord had been defiant, he had been a defiant and a habitual lawbreaker. Because according to John, for this reason the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So they determined to cut him off. So the Jews got too literal in their understanding of the Sabbath that they missed the spiritual and theological significance of this day. And the Lord comes with a different understanding. The Lord came to fulfill and to interpret and to bring a true Sabbath rest. Because after all, the Sabbath was not about the physical burden bearing, but was about the spiritual burden bearing that all men have because of sin. So the Sabbath was not about not doing commerce. It was not about trade. It was not about marketing. But was about the promise that God was going to bring a true and final rest in the work of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord takes this opportunity to introduce himself and God's plan of salvation. He seeks to teach them about his authority to interpret the Sabbath the way he does. In Matthew 12, 8, Jesus has told the Jews that he ultimately has the sovereign right to do whatever pleases him on the Sabbath because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Jews were accusing him and his disciples for working on the Sabbath because the disciples had plugged some wheat from the field and ate it because they were hungry. And Jesus was saying, 
I am the one who instructed you in the law to keep my Sabbath and to fear my sanctuary. And now I've come to give you a proper understanding of who I am and why I do the things that I do. And so the Jews were very happy to hear that. No, they were not happy. They were persecuting him. They were persecuting him because he continued to do these things on the Sabbath. But here, what the Lord said in his defense in John 5, 17. John 5, 17. And Jesus was saying, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. He says to them, The reason why I am working is because God the Father is still working even though he rested from his works. They understood who he was calling Father. The Lord was saying the universe and everything in it still required the power of God to sustain it and to keep it functioning. And so even though God rested from the work of creation, he still continues to work and he works every day and even on the Sabbath to keep everything in its place and functioning. And the Lord says to the Jews, guess what? Whatever the Father does, I do too. The Father causes the rains to fall, the sun to rise and fall, and I too hold all things by the word of my power. And I do these things on the Sabbath. And what I've just done to heal someone on the Sabbath is part of what I do as God. So John says in verse 18, For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The Jews understood what Jesus was claiming without doing any theological gymnastics. They understood that Jesus was claiming authority on the Sabbath because he was calling himself God. And he was calling God his own father and making himself equal with God, thereby committing blasphemy. The Jews would have been okay with Jesus claiming that God is the father of all. The Jews would have been okay with Jesus if Jesus came and said, God is the father of all. But for him to come and make a claim that God was his own father was going too far. His own father was going too far. The Jews understood that Jesus' habitual breaking of the Sabbath was not an isolated incident, but rather it was very purposeful and was tied to his own self-understanding and claims as the Son of God. So Jesus was not only breaking the Sabbath, 
according to their thinking. They are thinking, this man is intent on destroying the very Sabbath. Because if he keeps doing this, everyone is going to be following after him. So they were relentlessly trying to find opportunity to put him out. And we have many still in our day, even professing Christians, who have worse theology and understanding of Jesus than the Jews, who read the Lord's statements and do not understand what Jesus was claiming about himself. They do not understand that Jesus is claiming that he is God. He doesn't have to say, I am God. It's these statements that testify that he is claiming deity. Even though the Jews hated Jesus, they still understood the implications of the Lord's statements. Listen to Luke 5, 17 to 25. Luke 5, 17 to 25. One day he was teaching, that is the Lord, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him but not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I said to you, get up, that is rise, and pick up your stretcher, and go home. Verse 25, immediately he got up before them, and picked up what he had, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. What is the point? The Jews, by their hostile statements, they correctly interpreted that the Lord was claiming to be God. They correctly understood what Jesus was claiming to be. They understood him to be committing blasphemy and had to be killed. They understood that he was committing blasphemy by the statements that he was making about forgiving sins. They knew for sure that it's God alone who is able to forgive sins. But don't miss the Lord's argument in this story. He says, in verse 24, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, that's rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home, which means walk. Do you see the formula? You see the formula of the command is the same formula that the Lord used on the sick man in John, in John 5. Rise, pick up your pallet, and walk. So claiming his authority is the equivalent of him saying, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He is saying, I am God. And now he purposes to teach them that he is actually equal to God and is in union with him so that whatever God does, he also does and nothing accepted. So verse 19 of John 5. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. The Lord is careful to tell them that he has a particular relationship with God. And so he calls God his father. Which the Jews did not do. And not only that, he really develops the intimacy of this relationship and says he does nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son also does in like manner. What is that saying? It can't be saying that Jesus has no power to do things by himself. That he needs help from God the father. This is saying Christ possesses the same power and authority as God. And he is making himself equal in essence everything that God is, Christ is. But he says, I am subordinate to the Father. And being a subordinate is only negative to human beings. It's only a negative statement to say I'm subordinate to my boss or subordinate to my husband. It's negative because of sin. But in the economy of God, there is glory in being subordinate. And Christ is not ashamed to say I am subordinate to my father. So Christ makes statements. The Lord makes statements. To claim of his uninterrupted union, communion, and identification with God as a flame is always in communion with heat. Inseparable. You never have a real flame without heat. And Jesus here is developing for us the doctrine of the Trinity. He is working for us the doctrine of the Trinity 
he is clearly delineating that there is a person called God the Father and then there is a person who is the Lord of the Sabbath who is Jesus who is also equal to the Father. So he is working for us the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. It's impossible to read the book of John, to study the book of John and not come to the conclusion that God is Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And if anyone has been a preacher and they still don't believe that, then God has not taught them. Because this is revelation. Jesus is bringing revelation about the nature of God. And if someone does not believe that, it only means one thing. It means that God has not taught them. You have to see it. You have to see the Trinity in the theology of Jesus and in the theology of John. So theologically, the statements by Jesus are most significant because he is giving us a theological and systematic defense of his person and his divine commission. Listen to how he opens up his statements. He opens with truly, truly, verily, verily. And that is saying this is serious business. It is the equivalent of the Old Testament that says the Lord. The prophets would say that says the Lord. But Jesus is God. He doesn't have to say that says the Lord. He says truly, truly. He is saying you have to hear this. You have to understand this. And you have to act on this. Because these are the words of God. He is giving Credence to the opening words of John in John 1, verses 1 to 4. In the beginning was the word. So now he is qualifying those statements. He is telling us why he is able to turn water into wine. He is telling us why he is able to cause a new birth. He is telling us why he is able to give Sister Sarah, Samaritan, the living water. He is telling us why he has the power to heal the son of the royal official who was not even with the father when, he, when the father came to see the Lord in Galilee. He is telling us why he has authority to command and heal the sick. And he is telling us why he is the good shepherd. And all the other claims that Jesus makes in the book of John come because of this relationship that he has with God and because of his person. And these statements cannot be ignored by anyone in all of eternity. As long as men live, they cannot ignore these statements by Jesus because they are very exclusive statements. They don't leave you with any other choice but to deal with him. And Jesus says, your eternity depends on how one deals and responds to these statements. The relationship between the father and the son is taken a step further. And he says, 
in verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the father will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. The father continually and from eternity has always loved the son. The son first and foremost as God the son and secondly as the incarnate son. Because the father loves the son, he demonstrates his love. If the father loves the son, he has to demonstrate his love for the son by giving him. Love has to be giving. And if the father loves the son, he has to give the son something. And the father has given the son a people. But not only that, Jesus is going to tell us what else the father has given the son. So what that is saying to us is that the son was not doing anything from human motivation. It was not coming from just him dreaming about these things. He is saying this is what God has intended from eternity to be done. All that he was saying was by divine revelation. It was the father working through him and he also was working and they work together and they work in union. And because the father loves the son, the father has appointed greater works to be done by his son so that there's a reason. So that you'll be amazed. God has appointed greater works to be performed by Jesus that all creation may be amazed at Jesus. But what are these greater works that the father will show his son? Verse 21. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son also gives life to whom he wishes. The son has been commissioned and appointed to be the one who gives life. The father raises the dead. He gives life. Only God can do that. And the Jews would not have, would not have had any problems, no qualms whatsoever with Jesus. If Jesus had said, God raises the dead and gives life, they would not have any problems. The problem came when Jesus claimed to do the same. When Jesus claimed to do the same, their stomachs turned with nausea. They wanted to throw up. How can this man be so blasphemous? Only God has life in himself and he alone is able to give it. And guess what? The son also has the same power. He has the same ability and he has the same authority to give life. And not only that, he gives life not to everyone, but to whom he wishes. 
the son does not give life to everyone. He gives it to whomever he wants. It sounds like the son is saying he is sovereign. It, it sounds like the son is into election. It sounds like he is saying he determines who gets saved and who does not get saved. And Jesus says, the fact that I give life to whomever I please is designed and is supposed to make you wonder in amazement. The giving of life is no joking matter. It is salvation. And Jesus says, that is not in your hands. I have been given authority by my father to give it to whomever I want. So then salvation is not in the choice of human will. Salvation is only in the divine will because it is only Jesus who has the divine right to grant it or not to grant it. And that is sovereign grace. And that is sovereign election. What is that saying? It is saying all men born after the first Adam have no life in themselves. And it is also saying life is something that the first Adam could not give because God did not give him the right to give life as he has given it to Christ. So Adam could not have obeyed ever to give you life. Because God never determined to grant life to you through the obedience of Adam. And these things are God's decrees from eternity and are now coming to fulfillment in Christ Jesus. And God never intended to give life to save anyone outside any other man who is not Jesus Christ. He never. So the first work that is going to make man wonder is the giving of life by Jesus. The raising of the dead by Jesus. Number two. The other greater work is this. First twenty-two. The other greater work is this. For not even the father judges anyone. But he has given all judgment. To the son. The son. Has been committed. To judge all men. The father has committed. All judgment to the son. And judgment to salvation. And condemnation. Has been committed to the Son. And what does that mean? It means all men have done something and are doing things that need some job performance evaluation. Christ has to do a job performance evaluation of all men. Men are sinners and all have an appointment 
with the Son of God. They have an appointment. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Men are appointed to die once, and after this, the judgment. And that judgment has been given into the hands of the Son. So it was new. It was new to the Jews to hear that it was not the Father who was going to raise them to judgment. That was new. That was new. That this man, this son of Mary, this son of Joseph, he is the one who is claiming everything that they know God to have said in the Old Testament. And Jesus shows up and he claims to be the one who is going to do those things. And remember, the Jews did not have the doctrine of the Trinity. They thought God the Father was the one who was going to raise men to judgment in the last day. That's what they thought. But why would God the Father give this work to the Son? Was it because he was too tied up with other things and that he could not multitask anymore? No! Multitasking and micromanaging has never been a problem for God. Sinners love to multitask and micromanage, but they can't. Only God can multitask and micromanage. And he has given this right to his son to give life and to judge all men. For this reason. Verse 23. So that all will honor the son. Even as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Wow. That's a huge statement. Because the Jews believe that they honor God the father. They believe they know Yahweh. Jesus shows up and says, if you don't honor me, Guess what? You are not even honoring the Father. If you have to honor the Father, you have to honor me. So the giving of life and judgment has been given to the Son that the Son may be honored not as an exalted human being, not as the pauper, not as the king or president of the USA, but as God the Father himself is honored. He has to be honored by the angels. The son is not going to have a gun salute. He is going to be honored by a myriad of angels and the saints. God does not share his glory. He does not share his honor with a lesser creature. This is a truth that is taught in the Bible. The Jesus of John is not an exalted angel. The Jesus of John receives the same honor 
as God and makes himself to be God. And this is supposed to make you wonder because you shall see the Son of Man clothed in human flesh on the throne of God, being honored the same way as God. And that's what you're going to see in Revelation 5. In Revelation 4, we have the exaltation of God the Father. The angels honor him. And in Revelation 5, the angels honor the Son the same way. And God the Father doesn't come to them and say, No, 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 no. no. You got this thing wrong. You are not supposed to be worshipping him. God the Father is okay with that. The Lamb receives the same honor, the praise and glory from the angels as the Father receives in Revelation 4. You have to read Revelation 4 and 5 because they are glorious. I almost was going to read them. I was going to put them in my sermon. But because I had other things to share, I would just encourage you to read Revelation 4 and 5. They are brilliant. And so, the giving of salvation and judgment is for the purpose of honoring Jesus. It's not for you to go to heaven. We have to get this right. The work of salvation is not a work of getting you to heaven necessarily. The work of salvation is a work first and foremost of honoring the Son of God. And this is what Apostle Paul is teaching in Ephesians 1. Listen to Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 10. Ephesians 1, 4 to 10. What it says? Just as he chose us in him, that is the Father. Apostle Paul is giving us the doctrine of election and redemption in Christ and sanctification by the Holy Spirit. He says, this is the plan of salvation and this is what God was purposing in salvation. Just as he chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view, listen to this, to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So salvation and judgment are for the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. And the apostle tells us that this was God's mystery. This was a truth 
that was not yet revealed that he purposed to perform in Christ Jesus that Christ may be the head of all things both in heaven and on earth. Apostle Paul here says Jesus is the center and focal point of all of God's works. John says Jesus is the center and focal point of all of God's works. They just say it differently. Apostle Paul says in Jesus God is summing up all things. John says all things have been given to the son that the son may be honored as the father is honored. So this is important for us to understand even the doctrine of decrees and sin. Because if our theology of God and how sin came into being looks at salvation as God's fire exit plan B and not how it works towards the summing up of things in Christ, then our understanding is going to be messed up. Sin is there that Christ may enter into this exalted position as the one who judges. That in the salvation of his people and the condemnation of the wicked, he gets exalted. This is God's plan right from the beginning. So sin is in the world because God decreed it that by its judgment in his creation, Christ will be exalted as he sums up all things in him in salvation and condemnation. I did not add anything to that. That's what the text is claiming. As he gives life and judges, the son is honored. As the father is honored. And this again is supposed to make you marvel. If you are not yet marveling that God does this, then you still do not understand the revealed ways of the God of the Bible. Now the son enters into his seat. The son enters into his seat as judge and says, let me tell you how things are going to work. Yes, judgment was promised to happen at the end of the age. And you may want to adjust your eschatology, that is your understanding of what's going to happen at the end of the ages when men have died and they await the resurrection to enter into judgment as to be judged to life or to a second death. Jesus says, you may want to adjust your understanding of eschatology. And Jesus says, you are going to marvel at this. You have never heard of this. Verse 24. Verse 24 of John 5. Truly, truly, I said to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. (laughs) 
Jesus has already entered into his judgment seat. Right there. He is saying, we are not going to wait for you to die. For you to be judged. And you are going to marvel. Because you have never heard this. This is a revelation from heaven. This is a revelation from the Son of Man. This is a revelation from the one who is actually going to be sitting in the judgment seat. And I'm going to tell you how we have planned this to be done. He says, the one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So judgment has happened. He says, God is already judging by what you say Christ is or is not. That's the judgment. That's the judgment. If you believe what God has said about Christ, he says, you have eternal life. How do you have eternal life before you have been judged? Because you are supposed to be raised again after death and then be judged and then get life. But Jesus says no. This is supposed to make you marvel. Supposed to make you wonder. This is what I'm doing. I am already judging. If you believe in me, you possess eternal life. Judgment has already happened. You cannot possess life before judgment has happened. But Jesus says, I am the one who has the prerogative and the right to make a pronouncement of whether you possess life or not. And he says, because you believe you possess eternal life and you shall not come into judgment, but passed out of death into life. So judgment then is not about your works. Judgment for those who have believed in Christ is not about your goodness. Jesus is saying judgment happens by faith or no faith. Faith in Christ, judgment to life. No faith in Christ, judgment to death. Judgment to condemnation. And Jesus again repeats the formula. He says, truly, truly. You have to listen to this. He says, truly, truly. Pay attention. Understand this. If you have to use your mind for anything, Jesus says, truly, truly, use it to understand this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, he who hears my word and believes in the one who sent Christ, present tense, possess eternal life. Present tense. And Jesus knows everything about grammar. Jesus is the word of God. So there's no language in this universe that does not come from the mind of Jesus. And he knows grammar and he says, if you believe present tense, you have eternal life. So to believe in Christ is to believe in God the Father. If one believes in the Father, they have to believe in the Son 
also. Because the two are inseparable. And any talk of the father without the son is not from God. Any talk. You have people who say they believe in God. You can't talk about God without talking about Jesus. You have to talk about Jesus. If God is talking to you, he has to tell you about Jesus. If he's not telling you about Jesus, then he's not talking to you. Period. This is the honest truth. You cannot have 100 people, 20,000 people, 5,000 people, and you say you have brought a word from God that is not about Jesus. That's not true. Not according to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you have to know about me because all things have been put into me. All things. Everything is about me. And if you are running out of things to talk about Jesus, then God is not talking to you. You can't run out of things to talk about Jesus. So listen to what John says. We talked about this verse in John 3, 35, 36, maybe a few months back. John tells us that the reason why, the other reason why God is doing all these things is to exalt Christ. He says in John 3, 35, 36, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Isn't that what Apostle Paul just said in Ephesians 1? The Father has given all things into his hand, and he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Judgment and condemnation rests on faith in Christ. It does not rest in anything that you do. It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how faithful you do the things that you do. God has determined not to exalt you for you. It cannot happen. You are a creature. You cannot be exalted. If you have to find yourself in the blessedness of God, it's only because of Christ. Men have to hear that. And what that means is you have to be joyful that God intends to have his son exalted because part of that plan is to bring you who have nothing into glory. And because God has determined to honor Christ, he's not going to fail. And because he's not going to fail, it means you can't lose your salvation. This talk of losing salvation is because it's all men-centered. If you make it about Christ as God makes it about Christ, then it can never fail. Because God has to make sure that his son is exalted in the salvation of his people. So salvation is by faith alone in the son of God. But it is not just faith alone in whatever you think yourself Jesus to be. 
Jesus says he and the Father are one. Jesus says he is God. And if you do not believe that he is God, you have no eternal life. You are not entitled to what you want to believe about Jesus. Jesus says, if you are born again by the Spirit, you are being made aware of the testimony that God has made of his own son. That is the purpose of being born again so that you may believe. And when you believe in the son, you have eternal life. And when you get born again, God is teaching you how to approach him. God is saying, if you have to approach me, you have to approach me through my son because I want my son to be honored. So those people who say Jesus is not the only way to salvation. They have not heard from Jesus. They have not heard from God. They have not heard from John. They have not heard from the Holy Spirit. Because no one says Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says your eternity depends on who you say I am. On what you say about me. People have to get this. Eternity depends only on what you say about Jesus. Salvation is not in all the things that sinners have gathered to themselves as signs of their salvation. Jesus sent salvation and judgment not to the things that you do but to himself. Jesus sent out salvation and judgment not to the things that you do, but to himself. The Father has given him the right to give life. The Father has given him the right to judge. And guess what? Whether you have life or not, Jesus says, the Father has also given me the right to grant life to whomever I want. So that you may be amazed. <laughs> so that you may be amazed. So then, it's about who, what we say about Jesus. And Jesus says, he who hears, he who hears, that is to say, who believes the words that God is speaking about Jesus, possesses present tense eternal life. Eternal life is possessed not in the things that we do for God, but in what we say and believe about Jesus. This is what honors the Father. And this is what honors the Son. We shall be finishing today sometime. If the Lord tarries. So the question then, is do you want to honor the son? Do you want to honor the father? Do you want to have eternal life? Do you want to have forgiveness of sins? Jesus says, you have to talk to me. If you want any dealings with God, God says, I don't talk to you outside my son. God will give you the back of his hand. 
He will say, talk to my hand. You can't talk to me. Talk to my son. I have given all power and authority to him. The Jews stumbled at Jesus mostly for one reason. It was not because he broke the Sabbath, even though that is the second reason why they were mad at Jesus. The main thing that the Jews stumbled at Jesus was his claim to be God. And even today, there are many religious people. You see, the Jews did not stumble because they were not religious. They were more religious than you and I. They stumbled at Jesus because they did not believe his claims about himself. They did not stumble because they were not tithing. We could not have had better tithers than the Jews. They stumbled because they, couldn't, they did not believe. They could not and they did not believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And their stumbling was not just to stumble for a few days. Some of them stumbled to hell. That is how serious it is. The issue is not whether you come to church or you go to this particular denomination or that particular denomination. The issue is what do you say Jesus Christ is? Who do you say the Son of Man is? And if Jesus is not God, why are you even bothering yourself going to church? Why are you even bothering yourself giving things? Because that's not going to help you. You are not going to ever attain life by your own doing. It's just wasting time. And if Jesus is not God, because you see, the doctrine of the person of Christ is under attack in the church right now. There are a lot of prominent preachers who are attacking the deity of Christ so that they may hand you a false Jesus and a false gospel and you die thinking that you are saved and only open up your eyes and discover that you are in the place of torment because you did not believe the testimony that God has of his son. We don't want to preach the false gospel. If God declares that Jesus is God, then we declare that Jesus is God. And Jesus says, truly, truly, those are the words of God. I say to you, he who hears my word, that statement is assuming that there are some who are not going to hear. He who hears and believes him who sent me. You hear the words and you believe him who sent him has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. If you believe that, that's Jesus' promise to you. If you believe that, that's God's promise to you. And it's glorious. Because you may die today. And Jesus says it's done. You're moving from glory to glory. 
you have already passed from death to life. Praise the Lord for Jesus Christ. And let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the testimony that you have made of your own son. And the testimony that the son has made of himself and of you. That he is your son. He is working to save his people. And he has saved his people from their sins. He has given faith to his people that they may believe the gospel. That they may come to him by faith. That they may possess eternal life. As we have just learned that eternal life cannot be possessed by the works of men. But it has to be granted. It has to be given in Christ. That man may be amazed. Seeing the son of God exalted. Being honored as the father is honored. And yet, Father, this was your plan from eternity. To sum up all things in him, that he may be honored. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for giving us understanding to these things. Because many are dying and not knowing how to approach you. But we know because we have the scriptures. And we know because we have the Holy Spirit. And we know because we believe. Because believing in Christ is not the work of man. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray and thank you, Lord, for your people. We pray for those who shall hear. May you give them the ears to hear. May you give them understanding to understand that Christ is the only one. Is the only hope for them. Only hope of sinners. The friend of sinners. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and exalted on high. We pray in his precious name. Amen.